When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hey everybody, it's Matthew Collar here. We're talking Vikings football five days a week on Purple Daily, available on Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app, or wherever you find your podcasts. And look, if you're tight on time right now and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. Thank you very much, Manny. And now joining the show from Pro Football Focus, Steve Palazzolo. What's up, Steve? Hey, man, doing great here. How you doing? I'm doing very well. So you heard what Manny was talking about with Xavier Rhodes and the fact that they continue to run Xavier Rhodes out there, despite the fact that by the PFF metrics, he is one of the worst corners in the NFL. Not just mediocre, not just a slip, a fall off, one of the absolute worst. Now, how much, Steve, do we make of a small sample size, essentially, of a player not performing very well? Because I feel like from year to year, when I look at the PFF, grades, when I look at quarterback rating against things like that, I do see variations with a lot of corners. It's not that every corner uh, isn't consistent from year to year. So is there a chance that Xavier Rhodes has just been beaten so far but could get it together? Are you saying that he's due? Maybe he's due. (laughs) Maybe that's what I'm getting at. He's due. No, our, our friend Eric Eager, I know friend of the show here, you know, he, he has done a ton of great research using our data and, and saying, yes, okay, coverage is uh, one of the most difficult things to predict year and year when it comes to our numbers, particularly when it comes to, uh, you know, passer rating against. That is very much dependent on who you play and who the quarterback is and, of course, you know, how good the, the corner is. Um, right now, though, it's at a concerning level. Uh, for Xavier Rhodes, giving up 87% of passes to be completed his way, a passer rating of 132.6 into his coverage. Yes, he should improve upon that, but um, it, it's concerning, and, it, and it's happening in different ways, whether it's man coverage or coverage busts or, or whatever it might be. So I think that's the uh, concerning part with Xavier Rhodes, but I do think as a whole, um, coverage stuff uh, you know, can fluctuate a little bit. I mean, and we've been on here... Uh, in years past saying, look, Xavier Rhodes' numbers were good a few years ago, but his grade wasn't as good because he was the beneficiary of maybe some inaccurate passes and uh, you know various things like that that, uh, that helped him out and, and aided him. So um, I, I do think at this point, though, it is a, a concerning level of play for the Vikings. How do you factor the penalties that he commits to? I know that that's one of the main reasons that his grades weren't as good as I think people expected when they looked at things like the quarterback rating against, or they would say, oh, Julio Jones only got three catches, but if you've got two pass interferences, that hurts, and he's number one in the league now tied um, with ten penalties total. And, and that, to me, takes it to even another level of being concerned. 
Yeah, it does. I mean, so we actually made the decision a couple of years ago when we present stats, we just want them to be uh, real NFL stats. So if there's a penalty, it doesn't go to those coverage stats, even though we, you know, could dictate that on our own technically. So a penalty almost always is a, is a free first down. It, it's a bad play. It's a, it's a negatively graded play. And if you have a 40 yard pass interference or whatever it might be, it's not going to show up um, in the official stats. So yeah, it, it, it's one of those reasons why I think the PFF grade itself is the best indicator of how well a guy's playing because uh, the stats can lie a little bit. If you get beat and there's an overthrow, we can still give you a negative grade. It shows up as an 0 for 1 or you pick up the penalty, you're going to get a negative grade and it's not going to show up in the stats. So um, penalty is absolutely a huge factor. And this is the fourth season. He's had double-digit penalties and he's got two others uh, with nine. So it's certainly been an issue for the majority of Rhodes' career. Talking with Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. So last night I was looking through some numbers just trying to figure out who usually makes the Super Bowl, which is kind of the most basic way to do it um, from a team level, and comparing that to what the Vikings have done so far this year, which I know is not perfect by any means, but just give me a snapshot. And what I found, Steve, I'm sure this won't shock you, is that usually offensive teams, even if they have mediocre or average defenses, if they're great, they're able to overcome that and make the Super Bowl. Sometimes that's because they have Tom Brady, but not always. I mean, it could be like Atlanta a couple years ago, or Denver the year before Peyton Manning's head fell off his shoulders, right? So uh, where the Vikings offense is at right now, is it good enough to make up for the defense if it continues, if the defense continues to be average? Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, I think, you know, they've, they've shown that I think the, the run scheme has certainly um, given them a different way to win. You know, it, it, it's not uh, very pff of me to talk about the run game first. <laughs> I, know, I was but, taking it back a little there. No, I, I, I like I like balance. Balance on offense, I think, is, is being able to win um, no matter what the defense is throwing at you. And I don't think balance is run-pass splits. I think it's the ability to throw deep, throw short, throw intermediate, throw in the red zone, and then run the ball. You know, it's, it's throw the ball a million different ways and also be able to run. And I think the Vikings have answers, which is nice, especially if Dalvin Cook's healthy. You've, you've got answers. And you're, you know, he's, he's great with the ball in his hands, but you know, they've gotten good play from Madison and the offensive line, I think, has improved as the season's gone along. And then you've got Cousins, uh, who we always say is, you know, he's, he's volatile. He's got his issues, but, um, on pace for the highest PFF grade of his career. And I think he's played the cleanest brand of football. And the other thing I look at with the Vikings scheme, you know, they've done a really nice job in their screen game. You can just see it when you're watching yes. plays unfold. You're like, they're throwing a screen, and there's a ton of space. I mean, they're so good at setting that up. So they are picking up cheap yards, you know, to help Cousins. And then Cousins is making some nice throws, and he's playing well in the red zone and various um, places where he wasn't great uh, previously. So I think they're more than capable offensively and well-balanced uh, to, to make – a playoff push. So I was mentioning earlier, Steve, that it's really obnoxious, but it almost has to be said with certain teams, but they didn't beat anyone. And when we're looking at Cousins, he's had decent performances in big games. He didn't play poorly against Seattle, but also didn't get the job done when he had a chance. In Green Bay, he did play poorly and lost them that game. Chicago, the same thing. Kansas City, it wasn't a great game. Those are against the better teams, um, and it was a Matt Moore Kansas City uh, even at that. How do we weigh destroying bad teams, like running bad teams out of the building, versus uh, you've had some troubles whenever it's been a good team that's come into play? 
I, I think normally you just kind of say, okay, you know, that happens. You know, it, it, it's good to, to beat the bad teams, you know, and to, to beat them handily. Yep. Um, I do think you, it, it shows something, right? It's because it adds to the, the entire sample size, though. And not to pick on Cousins, because you're right, I don't think he played uh, all that poorly against Seattle. But the other losses that you mentioned, yeah, I think Green Bay was a disaster. The Bears game was, was horrible. And the Chiefs game was kind of like right in the middle of his hot streak, and he was just missing throws that he wasn't missing previously. Yep. So it, it's more so the fact that like if like Tom Brady this year can't win in prime time either. You know, he's like uh, this year Kirk Cousins, and he just <laughs> added his stats in, uh, uh, you know, in garbage time the other night in, in Cousins style. But Brady has a track record of not being that guy. And I think with Cousins, the track record of kind of struggling in some big games, not just primetime Monday night football games, but in, you know, against better teams, he struggled and not always been the most aggressive uh, when a comeback is needed and all these different things. I think that's where it's more concerning is just the Kirk Cousins led team. Can you, can you trust him to make those comebacks? It's nice that he's flashed that ability, whether it was the Denver game a few weeks ago, and he did the same thing in Washington, had a couple games that made you say, okay, he's capable. Mm-hmm. He can do it. You just want to see him do that a little bit more consistently. So that's what the only reason why it would be a little bit concerning with a, a Cousins-led team. It has been fascinating, Steve, to cover Kirk Cousins over the last two years because he puts up good numbers. He largely puts up good pro football-focused numbers. And you can dive deep and find some areas where last year he didn't have big-time throws. This year he probably has more of those. Um, but but you know, you're really starting to dig very deep into the minutiae to try and find reasons why it doesn't happen. But it's strangely like an eye test thing, even for a lover of analytics and not necessarily a QB wins fan or anything like that. But when you see it and it's third down, fourth down, you're down by four, you've got two minutes left in the game, you're thinking, well, he's just got that look where this isn't going to happen. And since he's been with the Vikings, that's sort of been the story of him playing even good games like the other night. And everyone says, well, it wasn't his fault they lost. But. That might be on the gravestone of the Kirk Cousins era here in Minnesota. Is it wasn't his fault they lost? Yeah, it, it's it's really. I think you've described it well. It, it's really a tough spot to be because you know, again, at PFF, I'm supposed to be all about the numbers and the play by play. I do think through the years, you know, he only has one top ten finish as far as PFF grades go, and he has three top ten finishes as far as passer rating goes. So to me, that's always been um, a good way to kind of show the disconnect. Like he's not playing maybe as well as the stats show, he's getting either some luck or some playmaker help, or um, maybe he's protecting his stats a little bit when he needs to. But um, even as a lover of the numbers and you know a believer in the PFF system, I do think at a macro level there is something to uh, the guys that win in, in crunch time. And you know, as, a, as a Tom Brady apologist through the years too, you can almost create any situation. You know, when the Patriots give up a ton of points, they still win a ton of games. Brady's able to kind of adjust to the game flow. When they need a fourth quarter comeback, he does it at the highest percentage. When they are blowing teams out, he's the, you know he's kind of the best in every situation. Fourth quarter uh, doesn't matter what it is, you know what I mean. And, 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 and even from a record standpoint, so there's probably I, I think it's safe even from for numbers people to assume there's probably this small percentage that we can't completely quantify where the feelings kind of mean a little bit. And I think that's where we're leaning with the cousin thing until he proves it, until he does it, until you see him kind of overcome that perception, there's a chance that it's, 
still there, and he's always going to be that you know one or two plays away from mm-hmm. consistently being that comeback guy or that guy that you really are counting on in the fourth quarter. So part of the theory that I've put together on this, watching him play very, very closely a, a bunch of games, is that if you're a statue quarterback, it's just hard to win in those situations because defenses know exactly what you're doing. You can't play action. Screen passes when you need 30 or 40 yards don't often get called in, in those spots. Though maybe the Vikings should consider it uh, the next time, just throwing a bunch of screens. But Jack Del Rio was on our station yesterday, and Mike Zimmer kind of alluded to it, too, that on fourth down, Kirk Cousins should have moved around a little and looked for a play down the field. And that's just not something that Kirk Cousins ever does. And it reminds me, Steve, a lot of someone like Drew Bledsoe, where he would put up great yeah. numbers and had a great arm and could throw any anything out there. But when it came down to crunch time, you couldn't expect him to like shred a tackle and, and extend a play and then find somebody. And I, I think that that's kind of required for those spots to win. And we see even Tom Brady can do that. Even Drew Brees can move himself and, and find a way to do that. Yeah, and, and using Brady as an example, too, in those situations where he needs to be more aggressive, he is. You know, mm-hmm. he Does he prefer to throw you maybe the short and intermediate stuff? Yeah, but when he has to take a few chances, he will. So I think there's that component as well as knowing when to be aggressive. The other thing about Cousins, and our guy Sam Monson talked about this well, too, there are certain plays, there's, there's a history of boneheaded plays in Cousins' career oh, yes. where you're just like, what are you doing? I mean, the spike when he meant to uh, the kneel when he meant to spike mm-hmm. and the last year you know throwing the the swing pass backwards into the dirt for a fumble I mean there are certain things where it's like here's this pressure situation in the middle of the play where you just have to have some passing instincts and make a play and I think that's where you see Deshaun Watson do stuff of course Patrick Mahomes does you see and it's not just about mobility it's just this natural passing instinct I think that's the thing I think Cousins is better than, say, Andy Dalton or Sam Bradford, but I think that's the type of stuff that's helped held those guys back through the years because if you watch Andy Dalton or Sam Bradford throw the ball, they throw tight spirals, oh, yeah. they throw the ball accurately, they do a lot of good things, but the pocket presence isn't there, the natural playmaking isn't there. I think Cousins is a tick better than those guys, but there is some of that natural playmaking, and to your point, is it pocket movement, is it aggressiveness, just knowing and feeling where to go with the ball in crunch time when you need to. And, and I think that's one of the places where he is lacking. Well, I think you nailed it with uh, somebody like Sam Bradford. That's for sure. I mean, seven on seven in training camp. It's one of the greatest sports things I've ever seen. Sam Bradford <laughs> operating that the throws were just outrageous. Like this is a number one overall pick. <laughs> He's six foot four and strong and athletic and everything, but not athletic in the way that he was going to make plays outside of the structure. Um, just one more thing for you, Steve. We've kind of been kicking this around a little bit with Carolina firing Ron Rivera. That Kevin Kevin Stefanski's name is going to come up for a bunch of different jobs. If you were Kevin Stefanski, I, I know that on your podcast you openly campaigned to become a GM of a team, so that hasn't worked out yet for you. <laughs> yet. Um, maybe the Texans will decide to hire a GM, and, and you'll get lucky there. But uh, if you were um, Kevin Stefanski and you're going to be the hot coordinator candidate, maybe he's even met Sean McVay, I'm not sure. Um, where, where are you going for potential jobs? Would it be Carolina? Cleveland might fire Freddie Kitchens. Jacksonville might move on from Doug Marone. It seems like there's going to be some some decent jobs, even potentially Atlanta. Which one would be at the top of your list if you had your pick? So I, I already know from a bunch of coaches that you know, Atlanta is the one everybody's keeping an eye on, and it's for the obvious reason. They have an established quarterback there. 
I think a lot of people would love the Browns opportunity if that does open up. It, it all starts with the quarterback, right? And I think the question in Carolina is, who's the quarterback? I don't think Kyle Allen has shown anything that you're saying, okay, I'm definitely going to build around him. Cam Newton has one left, one year left on his deal, and he's, he's banged up. So um, the intriguing thing I think about Carolina is, could you flip a Cam Newton to a Chicago or a Jacksonville or whoever, a Tennessee, a Tampa Bay, these teams that are in the middle of trying to figure out their quarterback situation, flip Cam Newton and just kind of start from scratch. I think that would be intriguing, but there's always that question mark about quarterback. I would always keep my eye on Atlanta if that ends up happening with, with Dan Quinn. You've got Matt Ryan. You have playmakers. I think there's talent on defense. They just really grossly underachieved. I don't think they're far away from from turning it back around and, and being a contender once again. Yeah, and if you think about when Matt Ryan was at his best, he's running the Kyle Shanahan offense, and here yep. we are in Minnesota seeing Kubiak and Stefanski run something very similar. So uh, awesome stuff, Steve. As always, I implore people to listen to your podcast, aside from when you are begging for a uh, general manager job. Um, <laughs> and, and also the... my name in the hat. Also, the very uncomfortable ad reads sometimes about certain shaving <laughs> products it gets a little weird but it's a it's a great uh, a great podcast with you and sam monson so follow steve at uh, pff underscore steve uh, thanks for your time man great stuff yeah i appreciate it thanks for having me yep for sure that's uh steve palazzolo and judd if you're, you're still sitting in the room can you just hit you know, thank you hit the button um so uh yeah again follow him at uh, pff underscore steve and do not forget if you want to become an elite member of the Analytics Society with Pro Football Focus, go to pff.com and you can use the promo code radio. That's part of our deal with PFF. And you get 25% off your subscription today. I guess you could use that as a Christmas gift if you want to. So if you're a fantasy football person, a gambler, not that uh, I would uh, tell you to gamble on football, but if you so happen to do that. Um, if you're a pro football player, by the way, uh, I don't know if you saw this story, Manny, that if you're a pro football player, do not tell people you're a pro football player when you're going to gamble on football, like the guy for Arizona did, uh, Josh Shaw, I think his name was. Yeah. He told them that he was a pro football player. Did he like, think, like, because he was on IR that he was just, like, <laughs> eligible gamble? to be able to do that suddenly? <laughs> like, what and the hell is he thinking? Like, uh, you know what, man, this is a smart man's game, and I just don't think you're going to hold up here. <laughs> I don't know what tipped me off to that. So he's suspended for the whole year because uh, he got caught gambling on football in Vegas. Not using like an app or something right. to do it overseas at bovada.gaz or something. It's like, nope, just go into Vegas and betting on just football. show my face to everybody. And... Just a little parlay on a Sunday. <laughs> Great job, buddy. Uh, anyway, so that's uh, pff.com and use the promo code RADIO. Uh, Manny, maybe we could talk for a couple minutes here before the end sure. of the show just about the um, the playoff machine at ESPN. Mm-hmm. Speaking of things that are just awesome and fun to play around with, the playoff machine is great. I am having a really tough time figuring out any scenario using just reasonable, no upsets, but things just go how we expect them to go. Yeah. Way to get the Vikings anywhere but really where they are. Yeah. yeah the sixth seed and going to Green Bay, it's a very, very tough situation to be in. And I was researching this last night and looking how tough it is. And I'm I'm just going to read you, since Baltimore as a four seed went to the Super Bowl, the seed of the teams that went to the Super Bowl, uh, one, 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 <laughs> one, two, 
one, 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 and last year both two seeds. What was the what was the other what was the first two seed? Uh the first two seed came in two thousand sixteen. That was Atlanta. So between between two thousand twelve and two thousand sixteen it was all one seed. And you know what? That Atlanta team, they were a two seed, but they hosted the NFC championship game against the Packers. That's right. Yes, that's right. The Packers right. They got, went into yep. Dallas and beat rookie rookie Dak and rookie Zeke. That's right. And they and yep, they got the home playoff. Game. So it's you get home field advantage, man. That's that's what it comes down to, right? Like that's how you get to the Super Bowl. You have home field advantage. That's what the trend has been. But going to Lambeau, where you should have beat them before, and Green Bay has shown some significant weaknesses at times. I mean, mm-hmm. they certainly didn't in the snow against the New York Giants. But and Rogers is washed. At times, Rogers has been washedy washed, <laughs> and uh, I I keep looking at this and I keep toying around with it and I keep putting in different things. And aside from a complete Vikings meltdown where the Rams somehow end up in the playoffs and not them, in which we're talking about. All timer, like put yeah. it on the board uh, under all time meltdowns for Minnesota sports teams. If that's the way that it plays out, you'd prefer somehow to go to Dallas. I just have a tough time making that happen with the schedules of New Orleans, Seattle, and San Francisco. They're just better teams. They're two games up on the Vikings. Something crazy would have to happen there. I don't think it's that bad to be going to Green Bay, though. Like, if we're resetting our counter a little bit here or our, where our bar is mm-hmm. for the expectations, Green Bay going there with the potential to beat them, I think that becomes a success for the season if you can do that and give yourself a shot. Yeah, and I don't think I know it's 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 sort of easy to look at Lambeau as sort of the the mystique of Lambeau and it's cold, it's gonna be January. But when you look at the Aaron Rodgers era of Packers football, they've been in the postseason at Lambeau, they're not unbeatable there. We saw Colin Kaepernick go in there and win. We saw the Cowboys go in there, if not for the Des Bryant should have been a catch, but wasn't a catch there. It was a catch. The Cowboys would have gone in there and won and gone to the NFC Championship game. That place is it's it's hard to play there. We see that we saw the Giants go in there twice on two different both their Super Bowl runs. They went in there and, and won in the playoffs there. Like that's not a it's not an insurmountable task to go into Lambeau Field in the postseason and win. And if you're the Vikings, Kirk Cousins is playing better now than what he was playing the first time you went there. Yes, by a lot. By far. Like, yep. it's not even close. I'd, I'd take my chances there. I would probably I'd probably still pick the Packers, but it's not like, I don't think it's impossible for them to go into Lambeau Field and win a playoff game. You know what I think the difference is between when that happened and this last week? I mean, one is Garrett Bradbury's gotten a lot better. Yep. And uh, Kirk Cousins talked about that today. And I, that was a huge issue in that game. I and mean, Bradbury was picked up and thrown back into Cousins. And even though Pat Elfline hasn't played well overall, it's not like he's been as bad as he was in that game. And Cousins started to get nervous and anxious. But I also think that Kevin Stefanski has kind of figured out which buttons he has to push with Cousins when he mm-hmm. plays in a bigger game. And he couldn't get it done on fourth down the other night. But 
He also didn't look supremely accurate or supremely comfortable, and yet they seem to find ways in the screen passes and short throws and things like that when he just doesn't seem to quite have it or it is a tough team or he is a little anxious. Mm -hmm. They did this in Kansas City in the second half, and I think it's kind of worked each time since they had such big problems at Green Bay and Chicago. That would give me a little more confidence. So I, I guess, Manny, I'm going back and forth between History tells us this is an impossible task almost. The last team yeah. to do it was 2010 Green Bay, and mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers is yep. a lot different. Uh, at that time, he's playing the best football of his career. And that team was much better than the record showed because they had one of the best defenses in the league. They yep. were, had injuries across the board. A lot of their losses were very close. That was a much better team than I think they were 10-6. and six, But they were... As far as talent is concerned, they were much more like a 12-4, and 13-3 type of team. And something I like for the Vikings and the way things are setting up is that San Francisco, if they're a five seed, I mean, they're going to have to go through kind of the same stuff. San Francisco is the team I would least want the Vikings to play. I know, cause, just because of that teams. defensive front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think they, they would just blow up the Vikings' offensive line, and that would be very difficult to run, and it would kind of be over. Even Lamar Jackson and Baltimore struggled against them. Yep. Everybody else, though? I, I wouldn't entirely count out. So I guess we've got a long way to go before we exactly figure it. But I'm kind of starting to think about how the playoffs could play out in my mind. That's if they don't lose to Detroit. Uh, Terrence Newman is supposed to join us tomorrow. Alex nice. Boone will be on. Yeah, that'll be good. Uh, so we will talk then. Mackie and Judd with Rami is coming up next. You're listening to Score North. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.